Well, no, Adam, here lately we've been teasing things in the like in the last half hour of the show right. to encourage people to stick around. Yeah. But th- this is uh, we're th- for you. We're throwing the entire format out the window. <laughs> we, we seriously are. Yeah, we have a guest. Yes. So. So I'm going to make you bigger. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to mop the floor with you. We're going to put the boots to you. Sorry. Sorry. We're going to gouge your eyes out and kick your head in. Sorry. I like your ginger ale. Welcome to Irritable Dad Syndrome, made with all natural ingredients. Here are your hosts, Mike and Darren. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Irritable Dad Syndrome. This is episode 98. I'm Darren. I'm Mike. Welcome. We hope you're uh, we hope you're excited about this episode because, honest to God, I am stoked out of my mind. We have a special, very special guest on our show tonight. We're going to get to him in just a minute. But before we uh, do anything, I wanted to thank somebody. We have a new patron who signed on two or three weeks ago, Rob Wetterer. Oh. He became a member of the patron family. And he Rob... Did. Thank you so much for your uh, financial support of the podcast. Yes. And you are going to get a voicemail to put on your phone from Dave Lay uh, soon. And we'll probably play that in the following episode. So, yep. Rob, thank you so much. Now, now that we've got all the uh, all that crap out of the way, oh, I'm done kissing people's butts. Wow. Our guest tonight, his name is Adam Needham. He's in uh, California. This guy is a game show historian, a television historian. He's an author. He's a freelance writer. And this guy, I'm betting you, knows more about television than me, you, Stump Woodley, Chris Hughes, all of us combined. And the fact that Adam, how, hey, man, how are you? Oh, I'm a box of fluffy ducks. How are you? How, good, how old are you? <laughs> I, <laughs> oh, I am uh, I'm 39 going on 40. I'll be 40 in okay. November. He's almost 40. Okay. I'm 52. Okay. This guy knows more about classic game shows okay. than anybody I've ever seen. And the, the amount of knowledge this guy has in his head, it just absolutely blows my mind. So you said so you said game shows and television. G- game so shows. All of that is, yeah, is, yes, 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 is fair game. So I, I have a burning question. That well, now hold up. on for a second. <laughs> all right. Adam, before yeah. we get started, I wanted to tell you, this is how Mike and I prepare when we have a guest on our show. <laughs> okay. This is our 98th episode. Yes. You're our fifth guest. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we're very picky as to who we allow on the show. That, well, that's clearly, yeah. I've yeah. done 98 so, and five. Yeah. That so would work welcome out to, to the club. Allow uh-huh. me to interrupt. Allow me to interrupt. Okay. Do you remember the movie Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? Yeah. With Michael Caine. Yes. And Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. When... They have a guest over and Steve Martin in the chair. Souls himself. Yeah. yeah. I'm Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Uh, Darren is Michael Caine. And the difference is we're both we're both mm-hmm. frauds. But I <laughs> don't, don't even that. care enough to, sh- to not in front of the guest. Yeah. Have yeah. you ever seen the movie Best in Show? Oh, yes. Okay. So in Best in Show, there were two guys who were the play-by-play announcers. It was Fred Willard and Jim Pittock. Yeah. Okay. So when they were preparing to make the movie, Christopher Guest talked to them and they, he said to uh, Jim, the English guy, he says, I want you to learn everything you can possibly learn about every dog, every breed, when they became a breed, what the dog eats, when the dog likes to sleep, every single thing you can know, what the type of fur they have, this, that, non-allergenic, everything. Fred, do nothing. <laughs> so in this analogy... Mike is uh, Fred Willard. I am. (laughs) So in that vein, I have a question. I have a question. Do you remember a 
when HBO tried to make a sitcom. Oh, they, I think they did a good job. They made the sitcom Dream On. Does that ring a bell? I remember Dream On very yeah. well. It was, a, it was a show about a guy that every time he had a something triggered a memory, it was, Brian it was a Ben scene from a classic show. It was a Billy Crystal face production. Was it? Yeah. Was Billy Crystal involved in that? Billy thing? Crystal, yeah. yeah. Have we totally stumped <laughs> our guest? First question. Out of the I mean, well, no, because I've heard of the show, but it's I, I, you know, I'm an expert in all things basic cable because I grew up in a poor family. Uh, so... <laughs> You could so I've heard the yeah. I've heard of Dream On, but I you know I can't. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, after Mom served the caviar yeah. and we <laughs> had the tea, <laughs> right. the little teacups, we would watch Dream On together. As no, my my knowledge of HBO begins and ends with that floating logo in space, and that's oh, all dude. I know about HBO. But that they had <laughs> there's a documentary on how they made that. Make, <laughs> yes, that I that was amazing back in the day because it was it the took, same people that worked on Superman. I think the first yeah. Superman. It took like an act of God to make that with it, all yeah, the. With, they didn't did. have any. George Lucas was involved. I think there was a Fraggle. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, now we've hit on something we know. Yes. yes. Fraggle so Rock, I, I can talk about. So oh, Adam, let me you, tell you a story about Fraggle okay, Rock. Okay, okay. Sorry. This Again, Fred Willard. Uh, again, we have a guest. Mark. As a okay. child, <laughs> as a child, uh, HBO would end their adult programming at 6 a.m. And 6 a.m. <laughs> would begin the kids programming. I always got up around 6.45 or so because Fraggle Rock came on at 7 or 7.30. Who cares and who's going to look it up around that time? So my morning ritual as a kid, I would get a huge glass of Kool-Aid, usually cherry, Mm -hmm. and I would go downstairs and I would sit and I would watch Fraggle Rock. Okay. Yeah. Kids don't have any concept of time and I'm no different than any other kid. So there was one time I went down. And I thought it was six in the morning. I thought it was six, six thirty. Uh-huh. It was actually maybe midnight or one o'clock. And I saw for the first time as a six-year-old boy, Halloween. Okay. The original <laughs> Halloween. Yeah. That's what started what has become me. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, HBO. There you go. <laughs> scared right. the scared the piss out of me. Right. Mike, if you don't yeah. mind, I'm gonna ask Adam a question. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> premium cable after midnight, that story could have gone in a different direction. I was oh, surprised oh, that yeah. this exactly. went to Halloween. Well, that's why Cinemax was nicknamed yeah. Skin. Yes. <laughs> one one more thing you should know, and I'll shut up. I'll <laughs> shut up. One more thing you should know is I am terrible with guests. Uh-huh. I I will shut up during our normal episodes, but when we have a guest who Darren is dying to ask questions of. I will blather on for hours. <laughs> We're 35 minutes into the... I'm going to okay. shut up okay. right now because I don't want to be rude. He seems like a nice guy. He's got a beard and he's, he's in California. Nice so, so Adam, tell us a little bit about how you got into game shows. Because like I said, I'm way older than you yeah. and you know everything about all these shows that, that I used to watch. Because, you know, when we would be home sick from school during the winter or all summer long, I mean, TV used to be game shows Every channel, game yeah. shows all day. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it would be the Dinosaur Show in the morning, and then they'd go to game shows. Right. The Dinosaur Show announced by, who's the announcer? Was it Rod Roddy? No, uh, Alan, Johnny Alan Gilbert. Johnny, Johnny Gilbert, Gilbert, who that was, was still the announcer guess. for Jeopardy. Okay. He's in his 90s and still reporting to work every day. Oh, good. Is it actually, it's yeah. called the Dinosaur and not Dinosaur? No, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't the Dinosaur Show. <laughs> I thought you were having a stroke over there. It's a- <laughs> Where are the damn dinosaurs? <laughs> okay, so uh, my 
origin story, as it were. <laughs> um, there's the factual reason that I can definitely tell you, and then there's the uh, theory reason. Okay. Uh, the reason that I know for sure I got into game shows was because uh, my mother ran a daycare center out of the house, uh, so she was uh, stay at home for a few years when I was in my my formative youth, my toddler years, mm-hmm. and. Number one, I was a shy kid anyway. And uh, number two, when the daycare kids weren't there, mom had stuff to do. Uh, so like uh, like all moms who are just doing their best but have other stuff to do, she kind of depended on the TV to help raise me. Um, so uh, game shows, I gravitated towards game shows, uh, bright lights, buzzers, things that spun, things that moved around, things that flashed when you're a toddler, all that stuff is amazing. So you want to watch that. And then years later, I was watching an interview with Mr. Rogers, where he was talking about his theories on television and how to appeal to children. And Mr. Rogers had this theory about people looking directly into the camera. And he said, when you're very, very young, all your entire world of the, your entire view of the world is other people's faces because everybody is bigger than you. And when they talk to you, they get right up in front of you. So their face fills your your point of view when you're a kid. Right. So when a child is exposed to television, a child is naturally drawn towards anything where a person is looking directly at the camera. Game show hosts look directly at the camera. So oh, I never thought about that. So yeah. that's the Mr. Rogers theory that I've heard for why I got really into game shows early in my mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Um, but it just kind of it became that thing where I I knew that I it wasn't just wanting to watch them. It got to a point where I felt like I had to watch it. Oh, there's a new game show on the air. I had to see this. Even as I realized I wasn't that interested in sports, when ESPN began doing game shows, I was watching the game shows on ESPN, even though I had no idea what anybody was talking about. Right. And <laughs> this but the other thing that happened was being a child of the 80s means I was part of the generation that saw the last boom of game shows on daytime TV. You were just talking about how game shows, game shows, game shows. Yeah, it was all when, day long. When Oprah Winfrey came along in the late 80s, that began to dry off because everybody was looking for talk shows after that. And the economics of daytime TV changed. And there's a whole story there that I won't bog this down with. Thanks, but around, Oprah and yeah, Geraldo. Exactly. So around 1990, 1991, game shows really began to disappear from the daytime network landscape. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, cable TV was exploding and cable TV needed programming. So what ended up happening was a lot of these cable channels uh, either began producing game shows because game shows are deceptively inexpensive to produce, or they began buying rerun packages of old game shows. Now, hold on a second. You said they're deceptively inexpensive to produce. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I always wondered... A new car. Well, I mean, I always figured that, you know, the gifts that were given away on the show were probably given away as part, like, advertising. Like, yeah. they're giving away the, the Chevy Volt. You know, Chevy Volt's like, hey, we want you to give away our car on our show to for advertising. But now, I mean, a lot of those shows look like they could have been, you know, once they pay for the set, all they exactly. got really is, is the lighting bill. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the they prizes, got a lot of lights. A lot of flashy lights. The prizes are on this show. mostly free, except for the cars. The cars are, and it's really you'd be surprised at how little a discount there is for them. Um, this is just kind of a thumbnail. This isn't completely accurate across the board, but generally speaking, a game show, for example, will get a car at retail, but then they'll get a two thousand dollar refund on it every time they read the prize copy for the car. Um, so they'll play retail huh. minus that two thousand dollars. And if you're 
<laughs> if you're a frugal game show producer, what you're hoping will happen is that the contestants fail over and over again until you've pretty much paid off the car. Um, <laughs> Ralph Edwards of Truth or Consequences, I've been told, was a master at this. Ralph Edwards was very, very good at setting games up, not necessarily rigging them. You don't have to rig the games. You just have to make them difficult or you need to set them up in such a way that it depends on the contestant doing something that mm -hmm. you don't expect the contestant to do. And I, I've heard that Ralph Edwards was just a master at managing to get cars completely paid off before one, somebody finally won one on Truth or Consequences. Um, you know, that, that reminds me, there was an episode of WKRP in Cincinnati where Dr. Johnny <laughs> Fever accidentally said, we're giving away like $10,000 and it was really uh, like $1,000 or something. They're like, what, 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 what are you doing? We can't right, give away he, that he, much money. He missed and the so decimal was point like, on them. Yeah. Yeah, and so it was guess these 10 songs, and they grabbed literally like one second. Like, and then everyone's like, uh, it's painted black, the national anthem, and they, they had to pay out the money. I'm sorry, keep going. By the way, no, I'll, I'll veer away because I'll tell you something uh, interesting. Do you own the WKRP Complete Series box set? Yeah. Okay, the ending of that episode on the box set is not the, the ending that aired. I didn't they, know that. Yeah. They got a print of the episode from another source, and what happened was the episode that aired on CBS and the episode that aired in the syndicated rerun package for years and years and years has a happy ending. Uh -huh. uh, if you watch the complete series box set, it has kind of a downer ending where things go really bad for Dr. Johnny Fever, and CBS sent the episode back and said, can you reshoot this with a happier ending? So they reshot the second act of the episode. So the complete series box set of WKRP has an, a, a version of that episode that did not air. Anyway. I did not know that. <laughs> This portion of our show is brought to you by Just Heels. How many times have you opened a loaf of bread only to discover that your two favorite pieces, the top and bottom, have already been eaten? I'm Dave Lay, and crap, like this happens to me all the time. That's why I buy this revolutionary product, Just Heels. Just Heels is exactly that, a bag full of heels. Only top and bottom pieces of bread, and it's quite delicious. So stop the bickering and badness at your home and buy Just Heels so everyone can enjoy that top and bottom bread goodness. Mmm, Heels. Now, back to the show. So anyway, uh, getting back to why I stayed in uh, with game shows. Uh, deceptively inexpensive to produce, so up-and-coming game show channels usually had a game show or two on the schedule because that's what they could afford when they were first getting off the ground. Or uh, USA Network and the Family Channel were the two biggies here. Uh, they would buy reruns of old game shows. And as the game shows withered away on the networks, they the reruns exploded on cable. Uh, every afternoon on USA Network from all, almost noon to 5 o'clock was just nothing but game shows. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I was always exposed to uh, plenty of game shows, uh, as many as my daily diet required. Um, so I was just always into that. And then uh, the internet comes along in the late 90s. I got hooked up to it in 97 going into 98. And what I came to discover was there were other Adam Needhoffs in the world. And that was a huge discovery. I thought mm -hmm. I was the only weirdo who made it a point to watch every game show and was obsessed with them. Oh, no, no, no. If this is, as my mother puts it, it's a subculture. There are, there are lots of me out there, uh, game show fanatics who 
know every game show, who watch every game show, who talk about the history of them and break down which hosts they preferred for which formats and which versions of the rules they liked better. Yeah. Um, so that was a huge discovery for me. And then I got into what's called tape trading, where you mail where you mailed VHS cassette tapes back and forth of game shows that you had, and then people mailed their copies of their tapes over to you. Kind of so, like an underground black market. Yeah. Uh, black markets are underground. <laughs> 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 and it's wild that, you know, this was the world before YouTube. So you, you yeah. couldn't just go on YouTube and binge old clips. So that's what you had to go to the post office and mm -hmm. drop $5 to mail a VHS tape off to somebody and get your VHS tape. So you could watch these old game shows. Mm -hmm. um, so, I'm going to veer off for a second. Yeah. There was, uh, I used to have a job. Uh, I was editor, editing stuff for uh, a drag racing show on ESPN2. And there was a client who came in who needed this drag racing footage. And I made him a copy. And before he left, he says, can you do one more thing for me? And he had a tape. And he asked me if I could make five copies of this. And it was the Dancing Bandit. It was this, <laughs> th this guy who could square dance. And he carried around a, a wooden uh, pallet that he would just take here and there and he would, he would dance. Right. And he, it was like, he would yell at his wife. You're going to have sex with me when I say so. And this and that and whatever. Dancing and outlaw is a dancing. Yes. That was dancing on Roseanne. Yeah. That was in West Virginia. And okay. it, I, I will tell you growing up in West Virginia in the 1990s, the VHS copy of that did the 1990s whoa, 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 version whoa, whoa, of going whoa. viral. Let's, um, let's all let's, let's hold, hold <laughs> breaks here. <laughs> you, we're talking about the dancing outlaw yeah, that just yeah. came up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm from Proctorville, which is across the river from Huntington, West Virginia. Um, okay. Dancing... I went to Marshall. So yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Uh, the dancing outlaw was, mm -hmm. he lives outside of Charleston. Now, if he's still alive, I can't remember his name. Jessica I saw... White. Jessica White. White, although I there's three people inside him, according to his wife. There's Ed, Jessica White, Elvis. there's Jesse, and there's Elvis inside yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> there's three people inside I have him. a t-shirt of Jessica White up yeah. there. I'm, okay. I'm tired of these slimy, sloppy eggs. I, <laughs> yes. I put a butcher knife up to her neck, and I told her, I'm tired of these slimy, slimy sloppy, sloppy eggs. The okay. voice is spot on. That's a great impression of him, but no. <laughs> I, same area. No, the, the, part that, the part that my family was obsessed with was the argument about the sunglasses. That was always my favorite part was his valuable sunglasses, and he got into some yeah. argument because they were left behind somewhere. Yeah. Did yeah, you ever go, see The Wild Wonderful Whites of West Virginia? I've not seen the sequel, no. Oh, this Johnny Knoxville. Pretty, okay, so I'm a huge Jackass fan. Yeah. I had no idea that we were going to go into uh jesco white and <laughs> right, jackass right. with this uh but here we are right here we are so uh but yeah the first time it's it's kind of the first time i ever heard of jesco white was from an old vhs tape from my brother-in-law was like hey you ever seen this yeah and shows me the dancing outlaw and we're laughing ourselves silly the same way i was introduced to south park i learned about south park about right. a year before it ever showed up it was a, a vhs tape being passed mm -hmm. around colleges santa versus jesus well, for the first the Christmas bet. Well, I mean, when yeah. tapes went viral, like that's how I yeah. learned about Winnebago Man. <laughs> well, and but, my experience was even my experience with South Park was even past when it premiered because the my cable company was very very late to getting Comedy <laughs> Central. And mm -hmm. again, it's one of those things where it's, uh, kids these days wouldn't understand, but it really you is crazy. <laughs> He's, yeah, you couldn't just go on a streaming service to watch stuff. 
No. So if the appropriate channel was not carried by your cable company, I went over to a friend's party one day, uh, a, a high school classmate, Chuck Hudson. Wait, you, Chuck, you were invited <laughs> to Chuck's party? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't get an invite to Chuck's yeah. party. So, so, me, and Chuck pulls out this VHS tape. <laughs> a relative had recorded South Park off Comedy Central for him, and uh-huh. it was like aliens had beamed this tape into his backyard. Yeah. It was this yeah. impossible thing. Like, where did this come from? Yeah. yeah. So here's the thing. Here's yeah. the thing. <laughs> the the deal with kids today. These these damn kids, these kids today, these and they're snappers. streaming and they're YouTube and all that yeah. stuff. And they're donkey. You can Kong. tell. I've, I'm I'm fascinated with like the differences in the generations. So first of all, I'm Gen X. Darren is Gen X. Yes, you're Gen X. We're all Gen X. Okay, we're the forgotten generation. You okay. know, we're the ones with John Cusack holding up the boombox in front of the thing. Um, <laughs> we're that. Uh-huh. Okay, we saw we were in the theaters in the original Star Wars movies or close enough. Right. Uh, our it was dads, called Star Wars. It yeah. wasn't called Star Wars Episode One. Right. Our dads accidentally took us to RoboCop, not knowing it was what it is. Right. Uh, <laughs> those type of things. And so I'm fascinated at generational differences. So I always thought that Gen X would be the generation, like you know, now it's called woke. I thought we were the ones that would figure everything out, and we would not be the old fogies. We'd be the people in the wheelchair at the party when Pearl Jam comes on and the kids are jamming to it, and we're like, yeah, we invented that, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. And I've seen our generation become kind of old fogies. Yeah. But there's a definite cutoff in how media is consumed, and I'd see my kids. So I, and I'm guessing you guys are the same, you get on YouTube, you start watching an innocent video, an innocent video. Hey, here's a guy. <laughs> a kid who's trapped surfing. in a windowsill. He's, he's surfing on a, a, Surfboard? a blanket. He made a blanket <laughs> surfable. Okay. And then a couple of hours later, you're watching a satanic ritual. Three hours after that, you're watching a comedy uh, routine done by a dog in front of a, a bunch of cats. You're watching a how-to video on how to skin a hot dog. All this, and you're just sitting there with drool coming out, <laughs> watching all this stuff. Whereas, and completely engaged mm-hmm. with all of it. Yeah. Like, my God, this is amazing. Whereas, if you look at how our kids watch that stuff, it's kind of in the background. And every mm-hmm. once in a while, they look up from their phone or whatever else they're messing with and say, and they laugh at whatever's happening on the YouTubes. Yeah. And then they go back to their thing. We are engaged with this. We were totally I am engaged. actively learning how to build a deck out of Legos and honey. <laughs> yeah. At two in the morning. It's Mike's I'm honey there. deck. Copyright symbol. Yeah. Yeah. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Don't do it. Irritable Dad Syndrome is proud to be associated with Newsly, the all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. For the first time ever, the entire internet becomes listenable, all in one place. Newsly picks up articles about the most trending topics and reads them to you in a natural human voice. Irritable Dad Syndrome is available there, too. You can find trending podcasts from more than 80 countries and digital radio as well. So stop scrolling and start listening. Download Newsly now. Just go to www.newsly.me and use this promo code 1RR1TABLEDAD and receive a free one month premium subscription.
Or, you said this was about game shows. Well, it was, I didn't you, know I was going to get we, this. We, I mean, do you ever just have random thoughts and then just type them into YouTube to see if anyone's ever thought of doing this? And it turns yes. out there is a bit. Like, it's something yes. that there are people stumped. who have had the there are people who have had the presence of mind to put like a tiny GoPro camera in a model train set, mm-hmm. so yeah. you can have a first person view of being inside a model train that goes throughout the little city, and it's yeah. delightful. And I'm glad oh. I wondered if people had done that. I've got yeah. a buddy Jeff who has the um, and I can't remember what the name of the app is. Um, that you can post like like twenty second videos or something, but he decided to live stream himself washing dishes, and he's washing <laughs> the dishes live. And somebody he knows that like the announcer at our old TV station jumps in and likes that, and he's like, "Are you Steve Stone, the announcer?" Yes, I am. Oh my god! It's like so. One, why is somebody washing dishes? live and two why is some announcer out in california or wherever steve stone is liking it it makes no sense at all yeah. but that's what we're, that's where our country's come to yeah, yeah. my brother-in-law is a huge devo fan i love and devo like got into a conversation with mm-hmm. one of the members of devo from some stream and now they're nice. buddies they're like email buddies what they talk back and forth you didn't tell me that one you, of the devo you people. didn't tell me that i'm like five connections away from devo two really dude that's a game changer. I, you're two connections away from jason newstead okay Metallica. Yeah, I know who Jason Newsted is. So back to our guest, Adam Neal. Yes, is with us tonight. <laughs> and I don't know a, Jason. Adam's Newstead. a game show historian. He is. Okay, Adam let me is, ask you that. I have a question from okay. the audience. Okay. I have a question from, from, the, from audience. the audience. Uh, let me get to it. <clears throat> I have a question from Adam. This is from Stump Woodley. Okay. Manage your expectations appropriately. Yes. Is it true the whammy of pressure luck was a coke addict? <laughs> Well, you're saying you're saying was so you're talking about the 80s whammies, right? Because yes. there's okay, because they as part when of the I contract coke, the, when I the say ABC coke, version, it should trigger 80s. For the yes, versions exactly. that's on the air now, they made him go to rehab before they started. That. So <laughs> He's a monster. Now, addict. no. Uh, <laughs> uh, what can I tell you about the whammy from Press Your Luck? I can tell you that uh, with the limited technology that they had at the time. Uh-huh. Um, it was, uh, they were limited to 12 frames of animation. So yeah, no matter how long the whammies go on, yeah. it was limited to 12. Uh, a guy who went on to some renown, uh, Savage Steve Holland, who's a prominent Sa- film and TV director. Yeah. From, uh, um, uh, John Cusack. Airwolf. Yeah. Uh, he no. wrote and no. produced and drew the whammy animations. Uh-huh. And the voice was done by Bill Carruthers, who was the creator and producer and director of the show. And they just they raised the pitch on his voice. OK, two things. So there I you didn't go. There's know the whammy. I didn't know the whammy had a voice. And <laughs> was the whammy did did they get sued by the Hawaiian punch people because he looked just like the Hawaiian punch guy? <laughs> did look like Bill. No, my no, two, no. My two favorite whammies uh-huh. from the 80s. Uh, pressure luck, by the way, pressure luck was my absolute all-time favorite. It was my oh, yeah. favorite game show. It's one of my top 10 favorite shows. Oh yeah. Period. It was the Jerry yeah. Springer of game shows. It was just it was <laughs> It was the one you would watch it because the people would when they got a whammy, mm-hmm. you might as a kid in the 80s, you might watch somebody go on yeah. live yeah. TV and it would be, yeah. you know. And in fact, uh there is an episode where a contestant does in fact yell that and it slipped past the CBS censor. <laughs> so there's Nice. There is an wow. inappropriate press your luck episode out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Randy West, who is now a voiceover guy, was a contestant on Press Your Luck, and he won uh, two games. He won over twenty five thousand dollars. He was the first contestant wow. to win a car on the game board. Oh wow! Uh, and he was the first first contestant to say big bucks, no whammies. 
he was the first contestant ever to say that combination of words while talking okay. to Ford. Uh, wow. So there's Randy's claims of fame. But my point here is you were talking about the emotion. And he said one of the people who lost in his first game would not even look at him. Like Randy tried to be a good sport and shake his hands afterward. The guy right. wouldn't look at him. Yeah, so Randy yeah. tried to be polite and just patted him on the shoulder. And the guy was wearing a suit. And Randy said, when I patted him on the back, it was moist. He had sweat completely through his suit. That's gross. Like wow. that's how yeah. emotional he had gotten. That's how much emotion press your luck brought out of this guy. Yeah. Wow. Um, but, but it's my, just my, my two favorite whammies. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. My two favorite whammies yeah. were uh, uh, when he would come out and moonwalk as Michael Jackson. And then the other one, when he was boy, George and would do, uh, do you really want to hurt? Yeah. Me? <laughs> Who oh, would yeah. ever hurt a whammy? No, that is yeah, one of yeah. the favorite ones. That's one of the favorite ones that I like to perform when I do whammy theater. What's whammy theater? Brace what's, yourself yeah, for this. Okay. Okay. Uh, some friends and I thought it would be really fun to start a small business in uh, California where we stage live game shows for private parties and corporate functions. We come to people's houses and we stage game <laughs> shows. Uh, we stage game shows at birthday parties. We stage uh -huh. game shows for like office Christmas parties for businesses. And we pretty much always all end up going press your luck. Um, we you can't go wrong. We have the technology to recreate the game board. We are actually able to do that with flash programming and projection screens. So we can do a very credible recreation of Press Your Luck in any meeting space that you give us. Mm -hmm. The resources we don't have, we don't have the animation. So we couldn't do the whammies. And we all agreed that uh, Press Your Luck without whammies is missing something. So when we stage Press Your Luck for these functions, we, call it, we do something we call whammy theater, which is two of us bring along red shirts and red sweatpants and yellow capes and yellow masks. And we cosplay as the whammy. And hey, and girls, we, he's single. Yes, we act out. <laughs> we act out the whammies when a contestant lands on the whammy for press your luck. Nice. <laughs> yes. It sounds like fun. Do you? Yeah. Do you? Are you concerned that one of the contestants is going to jump out and just beat your ass? <laughs> <laughs> it Poor hasn't guy. happened well, yet can you, can you imagine the reporter on scene a, a man dressed as a whammy chuck um was seen senseless apparently they were having what's known as a whammy party yeah um we've we've uh we've asked around no one's heard of these um underground cult parties yeah back to you in the studio so so darren asked me what but it is favorite. funny how emotional it gets because again I, this is for a party and it's just for funsies, mm -hmm. but I'll never forget. There was funsies. a night where uh, they had, they had rented out the outdoor deck of a very nice restaurant in Malibu. And we staged press your luck there. And somebody lands on the big money space, $5,000. And you could feel the deck rumble when they landed on that. Everybody yeah. on the deck went completely crazy for landing on the big money space. <laughs> nice. People just forget that it's for fun for after a while. And they, it, it's like they're actually going to win $60,000 here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Adam Needif is our guest. Adam is a game show uh, historian. He is an author. I, I bought your book, Adam, The Matchless Gene Rayburn. Yeah, I'm holding it up here for everyone on the Twitch to see. I'm gonna say he can't see. <laughs> He's seen the book. He okay. wrote the book. Yeah, he doesn't need to see the book. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, Adam has written a bunch of other books. He wrote uh, about uh, Alan Ludden and uh, who are the, who are some of the other? Uh, you did like five or six. Bill this Cullen, game show. Bill Cullen, this Dennis day in game show history. Bill yep. Cullen is is sounds familiar. Who was that? Bill Cullen, Adam. Bill Cullen. Bill he, Cullen, uh, the original host of The Price is Right. Uh, oh, Kirk okay. Cut. 
uh, horn rim glasses, uh, distinctive because he had a disability. He had polio, which limited his movement. Um, okay. He could walk. He was mobile, but he would prefer not to. So he's uh, if you came of age around my time, you remember him as the older game show host who always sat down on his shows. OK, well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Let me ask you this. In 1980, huh, Richard Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> Dawkins Dawson Dawson Richard, Richard Dawson. Dawson appeared in Total Recall. Yes. No, 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 a, no. Uh the running man. The, the, running, the man. running man. Same yeah, movie. the running man. <laughs> I mean, a, I can't argue with that. It's the same movie. You're as right. As a game I show yeah. guy. As yeah. a game show guy, did you lose your shit when that happened? Was that like <laughs> is that the pinnacle? of a game show host thing to appear in a movie well, you know, with Schwarzenegger and the funny the thing ultimate is, game show as a kid I was and still kind of am a wrestling fan so Jesse Ventura is oh. in that movie <laughs> so honest god the running man looked like a movie that six-year-old me would have written so oh, like my, yeah. my brain melted the first time I saw this movie um yeah it's <laughs> It is perfect casting. I can't imagine mm-hmm. any game show host beside Richard Dawson taking on that role and oh, yeah. doing it as well as yeah. he did. So he two nailed things, it. Two things about the <laughs> Not running Peter man. Peter Tamarkin. Okay. We, we, so we've talked in the in the in previously in the episodes about yes. how the fact that back in the eighties you didn't know anything about a movie other than the little black and white picture in the in the paper in the newspaper and maybe like a ten second snippet which basically showed who starred in it and what it's rated. So my dad took me to tons of movies that I know he wouldn't have taken me to if he knew what they were about. <laughs> right. And The Running Man was one of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Dawson was great in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dawson was also in Hogan's Heroes, a hilarious <laughs> show about Nazi Germany. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, Adam, my question is, you've written a lot about of a lot of various game show hosts, and you know all of them. Yeah. Uh, what would you think if they had a Mount Rushmore of game show hosts and it's it's tough to pick four i've got yeah. my four what four mm-hmm. would you put on mount rushmore oh man okay um i think one of the most underrated uh and underrated for the fact that a lot of the stuff that he did was early early tv which meant it wasn't preserved so he's kind of i don't want to say forgotten but uh dennis james was the first game show host okay. and uh had a successful career had a very consistent career um and I mean, he was since he was the first one out there, he kind of set the template for how to do it. Um, Bill Cullen by easily belongs up there. Um, mm-hmm. Alex Trebek. Um, but now he's uh, Canadian. <laughs> so he, he, he can't be on our. OK, no, no, no. Mount Rushmore is American. OK, all right. I like Alex. So, <laughs> I, I loved Alex Trebek. There will be a bronze plaque for Alex Trebek. He doesn't get okay. to go on the main thing because he's not American, but there's a there's a bronze plaque to the side with an asterisk. Right. Yes. It's a runner's up. <laughs> the Canadian asterisk. Yeah. All right. Uh, if Alex doesn't make it up there, then I would give his spot. Um I would Chuck say Barris count does Chuck is Chuck Barris. Was he a game? I show would, yeah, it was he a game show host? Hell yeah. I would, was a game yeah show host. The, the role that Chuck Barris had was good for what he was doing. I don't know. And that's kind of what I'm fishing around in my head is for guys who are versatile because game show host yeah. requires some level of versatility. That, and that's uh, a skill that, uh, game well, shows he, don't get credit for he didn't have say, a lot of he was busy killing people and, and <laughs> right stuff. so so yeah. i would say I, I would give those two remaining spots i think to the nars brothers jack nars and tom kennedy from uh louisville kentucky okay. uh, oh. who hosted a slew of game shows between them um and i think had that versatility that allowed them to do hard quizzes lighthearted celebrity gab shows just fun game shows and they turned in different performances on all of the game shows that they hosted yeah. uh just as alex did it's forgotten how 
many different ways Alex could host a game show because he yeah. came to be known for one for 35 years. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I would look for. And that's what I would say puts them on the Mount Rushmore. You only matched one of the hosts that I would have had. I had, okay. uh, I had Bill Cullen, uh-huh. Alan Ludden, okay. Bob Barker. Yeah. And then the fourth one was the really, really hard one between uh, between either Gene Rayburn, but then I eventually gave it to Bob Eubanks. Okay. Because Eubanks I... has been, it's like still to this day. I mean, these are people iconic and, and they're, they're all iconic, but everywhere they go, people are like, oh my God, that's Bob Eubanks. You know? And the, you yeah. know, the great thing about, I, I actually, <laughs> I, I was at uh, Bob's home a few months ago for a project that I'm working on that I'm sure is going to come up later were. in this interview. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I want to make it very, very clear. He allowed me into his home. Okay. Um, and yeah. <laughs> this wasn't it, not binoculars or behind a bush or anything. I was, <laughs> I was welcomed into his house and he opened and unlocked the door. Um, but what's funny about these game show hosts is they keep those voices forever. So when you go into Wink's house and when you go into Peter Marshall's house, when you go into Bob Eubanks' house, when they greet you, you are hearing that voice from 1970 coming out of uh-huh. these nice older people who, and it's just fun to talk to them and, okay, you know, get that. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. You just, he just, I will, you know, when you walk into Wink's house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, just like, you know, every time I walk into Obama's house, yeah. <laughs> so you've been okay. So, so let's, let's uh, get off here. How many uh, homes have you been in of famous uh, game show hosts? Uh, of late? Uh, let me see. Or, I've been a- <laughs> okay. So you, you named Wink Martindale, Tic Tac Doe. Wink Martindale, uh, okay. Bob Eubanks. Peter Marshall, Doe, that's Peter a made up house. Name. <laughs> Is Wink Martindale a made up name? Is it Wink like, uh, no, no, no. Is it like uh, Roddy Dangerfield and, uh, um, the um, name the name that his mama gave him was Winston Conrad Martindale. Okay. There was a when he was a little kid in Jackson, Tennessee, uh, there was a boy in the neighborhood who could not wrap his head around the name Winston Conrad. Uh-huh. And he kept calling him Wink. And that nickname just stuck. Uh-huh. So that's where the name Wink Martindale came from. So it's not really a stage name, but it's also not his birth name. It's, his given name is Winston Martindale. Okay. Uh, his and, mama called him Winston. I yes. call him Winston. <laughs> Winston? <laughs> Get your ass in here. <laughs> uh, and in fact, the first game show that he ever hosted for network TV, he was uh, NBC made him go by the name Win Martindale because they thought Wink sounded too juvenile. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, those are the, those are the game show hosts who, whose homes I've been in. Uh, I don't think Wink might, would mind telling you my favorite part of his house. He hosts a syndicated radio show on the West coast. Uh, and he does it. He turned one room of his house into a studio and he does all of the work himself. He still uses analog equipment. He has these three reel to reel recorders. And basically what he really? said was, he said, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. This is how I learned how to do radio. Uh, and so he has yeah. these three reel to reel corner. And sure enough, I look at the three reel to reel machines and there's a razor blade there. Wink is still cutting tape to edit. No, he's Dude. not. Yeah. I completely understand that. I, look at our, look at us. Every time we try to do new, shit, it falls apart. <laughs> the only thing that works here is when we go old school. But dude, you yeah. never, now Adam, you have production in your background, correct? Yes, uh, I've worked on game shows. Yeah. No, but did you ever edit? Uh, like, see, when I studied radio and television oh. at East Tennessee oh. State University, we one of our projects was editing audio tape and then splicing it back with you know with the white. You know, you got the white yeah. marker where you cut. You got the razor that cuts diagonally, and then no, I, you place the tape together. I it's went to ridiculously uh, difficult. When mm. I was at Marshall University, yeah, we uh, one of our professors made us learn how to cut tape 
just in case we ever needed to do it someday, even though, you know, the radio stations in Ethiopia by the year 2000, I think, had saw 3.0 installed. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but we had to learn how to cut tape anyway. So I learned how to cut tape. And then I worked as a radio disc jockey for a while and learned how to how to edit with different uh, audio editing software. And the other thing I had to learn in college was a, a just a horrible piece of crap machine called a Digicart which uh-huh. I have not seen mm, since college, yes. and I do not miss it. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> this portion of our show is brought to you by Funkaway, the odor eliminator for shoes. Hi, I'm Dave Lay, and I hate the smell of feet, sandals, and shoes, so I use Funkaway. Here's how it works. Spray your funky shoes. The more they stink, the more you spray. Let them air dry and live funk-free. Just don't tell George Clinton. Don't just cover up odors, eliminate them. Funk Away, it's guaranteed to work and available wherever funky products are sold. Back to you in the studio. I have a question that may annoy. Two shows, and my question is, do you consider these actual game shows? Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Whose line is it anyway? That's not a game show because the points don't matter. Okay. But <laughs> but Drew Carey is on the list of well, he's top not, game shows. He hosts, hosts The Prices Right now. Yeah. Oh, does he? What the, <laughs> you're embarrassing me in front of Adam only for 15 Fred, years you, kidding me seriously for 15 years he's been 15 a, years which Fred by Willard. prices right what standards makes the other the guy, guy. The, with the <laughs> pri- all the prices right i'm thinking of family feud uh the other one is uh is survivor jeff Probst my favorite game show host is that an actual game show <laughs> you know <laughs> um survivor is closer just because there are games there are challenges um there is a winner and there is a prize Boom. Um, the, uh, the only problem with that is I Wink Martindale once said this in an essay about what is a game show. And there was a famous quote from a Supreme court justice in a case involving pornography and trying to come up with standards to apply to things to determine yeah. if they were inappropriate or inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And what he said in writing was, I don't know what pornography is, but I would know it if I saw it. And yeah, Wink Martindale right. said, you kind of have to do the same thing with game shows. I don't know what a game show is, but I would know it if I saw it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah. One more question. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, why? Okay. So I'm, you know, again, I'm a game show newbie, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm look from the outside looking in. You guys are the experts. Yeah. You didn't Adam, mention Monty Hall. Oh God, Monty Hall is amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's actually mentioned in in uh, math and engineering books. Yeah. They have the three card Monty, the yeah. Monty, the you know, the, the Monty Hall board. problem, which I that's yeah. my next book that's on its way out uh, to the final editing stages right now. OK, um, and it's a biography of Monty Hall. But I devote an entire chapter of this thing to the Monty Hall problem, there you go. to breaking it down point by point and explaining it. And I'm hoping my book is the final word on getting people to understand this problem. Well, the, pro- the <laughs> issue, my favorite thing about that problem is every time anyone online posts or tries to explain it there's always a guy from wichita kansas <laughs> or butt scratch nevada that which is beautiful is, this just, time just of year, by the way. spends uh-huh. pages and pages of diatribe about how that's wrong uh-huh. and and they just completely get it completely screwed up yeah to the point where i have to actually look it up and and see what the real answer is. Well, that's not the the diatribe that bothers me. Is there what I hear so often from people in the discussions is people who try to make the point that it doesn't make sense, so it must be wrong. And oh, yeah. you know, 
math doesn't work that way. Math doesn't care if you understand it or not. Right. Um, right. So they always try to, well, I don't understand it. So I don't think this is right. Okay. You didn't get away with that in high school math. You couldn't tell the teacher that I don't understand this. So it's wrong. Pass me. Um, No, the, the, the math checks out. And I try every different approach that I can think of in this but, book to break this down and explain, here's why this makes sense. So my question for you as the yeah. expert, did mm-hmm. they know that going in or was it one of those like happy accidents and they come on the other side and go, oh yeah, we totally meant to do that. that we, we totally meant for all that math to be that way. We, yeah, that's, we figured well, all that out ahead of time. And it's I mean, all- the, the Monty Hall problem actually predates the show. It was a, a similar problem. Basically the same problem appeared uh, in a magazine in the 1930s or 1940s. And I, I think it was called the three prisoner problem, but it was the same basic idea. Mm-hmm. And as the years went by, uh, this TV show appears on the air that involves three doors and a decision that has to be made. So to make the problem more accessible to the general public or to make it more fun, mathematicians began using the let's make a deal motif to explain this problem. It's really, it was really just conceived as a thought exercise um, as it's a kind of a logic problem and it kind of breaks down into theory and probability. And so that's all the problem was ever conceived to be the, the tying it to let's make a deal came later. And by the way, right. this is the other, this is the other argument that cracks me up because this, when you're in my inner circle, there's always somebody who argues, well, they never did anything like that on the show. So it doesn't make sense. And it's, why does that matter? <laughs> right. No, they never actually did a deal like this on let's make a deal. And people always try to complain that the problem doesn't make sense because it was never anything on let's make a deal. And it's, yeah. That doesn't matter. Those are the same people that go to yeah. Lord of the Rings and just the whole time they're like, hobbits aren't real. Yeah. They're not real. Can we agree that the new Let's Make a Deal is uh, garbage? <laughs> is that how you like Wayne you know, Brady? I like it, Wayne Brady. Here's the, no, here's what they did because uh, the original Let's Make a Deal wasn't just hosted by Monty Hall. It's easy to forget that Monty created the show. Mm-hmm. So basically he was his own coach and his own quarterback on that show. He was hosting something that best suited his talents and they tried to do, let's make a deal with other hosts. They tried to do it with uh, a Bob Hilton, who was a very good host, uh, but didn't uh, have the star power. And they tried to do it with Billy Bush and that didn't work. Oh, dear and God. when they brought in, uh, when they that brought in George Wayne Brady, Bush's little brother, no, it's yeah. George Billy Bush's Bush. uh, nephew. Was it really? Yeah. It's something, yeah, no, he, it's a, I forget what it the exact relation, but it's, there is a legit relationship. Yeah. I yeah. think if, I would go with William Bush. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but they uh but then they did it with Wayne Brady and what they began to realize was they're trying to get other people to host Monty's show. Mm-hmm. And it really was Monty's show. So when they hired Wayne Brady, what they did was they just completely reinvented it and turned it into something that was suited towards Wayne Brady's strengths, which yeah. I'm completely fine with. And I think the new version the results that it gets speaks for itself. It's going on to I think it's thirteenth uh, season coming up in the fall. I, I think for what it is, it's been excellent. Irritable Dead Syndrome was brought to you this week by Diff Liquid Concentrated Wallpaper Stripper. With its unique enzyme action, Diff dissolves old paste and cuts wallpaper removal time in half. Hi, I'm Dave Lay. Summer is upon us and it just keeps getting hotter and hotter. There's no better time to stay inside in an air-conditioned home with some cold beer and a bottle of Diff. While everyone else is outside sweating their butts off, you can be inside where it's nice and cool and remove some of that nasty wallpaper you've been staring at since 1994. So what are you waiting for? 
pick up a case at your corner hardware store and get stripping with Diff. Adam Needif is our guest, and I wanted to mention something. Before I knew Adam was a game show historian, uh, I discovered his talents the day after David Letterman retired. <laughs> okay? So, Mike, you remember David Letterman, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> tall guy. So, yeah, very tall. He's actually freakishly tall. So, David Letterman went off the air on CBS. He was on CBS for like 22 years and 11 years on NBC. And on his very last night, he did a montage uh, the uh, Foo Fighters did perform their song, and then they did a live video montage edited. They to had the cut. Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. No, it wasn't Smells Like Teen Spirit. Okay. It was Everlong. Okay. So they had the they had to be like right on time to go along with the cuts that they had already pre-edited. Yeah. So there was, uh, was like a nine-minute video. I can't remember how long it was, but it was from the beginning of Late Night all the way to their final show. And it was a beautiful montage that showed almost very close to every person who had been a guest on the show. I mean, <laughs> every person who was really, really important. They uh -huh. magically captured so many people. The very next day, Adam posts this video on the AFL, which is the uh, Letterman fan page on Facebook. Oh, and this clip was from August 2nd, 1985. And this is from June 12th of 86. And this is Gene Stapleton and this person, this person mind. My mind was absolutely blown because he, every frame, Adam, how did you do that? And how did you do that so quickly? And, and, you know, damn, that I, was one of the most amazing entertaining, pleasurable things I've seen in a very long time. I was very, I had just the right software for doing it. And um, basically what uh, the way it came about was after it aired, I was talking to a friend of mine in West Virginia, Ernie, uh, who's been a disc jockey for many, many years and is a wonderful fella. And if you're in the Ashland, Kentucky area, you should listen to him on Cool Hits every day. Okay. Um, but Ernie, couple weeks, so, yeah, yeah, Ernie, um, Ernie on Cool Hits. Good okay. man. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we were, uh, we were talking and he said, you know, I would really love to see all of those individual frames and see because i got a sense of what they were but i'd really like to see them one at a time and really take it in and so i had recorded the last show and i had it sitting in my hard drive and so what i did was i was able to play it through the software that i had which allowed me to go through frame by frame and take a screenshot every time that i wanted to take a screenshot so what i was just doing was i was Amazing. advancing the frame one at a time until it got to a new image and every time the image changed i would take a screenshot and then just advance a few frames and take a screenshot so it actually really only took me not very long at all to collect all 500, 530 some odd shots that they had in this montage. Mm -hmm. And then when I uploaded it, all I did was I contextualized the ones where I knew for sure what it was and who it was for the ones that I didn't know what it was. I went ahead and just left it up there blank, but I, I had comments open on it. So people would come in and add context where they wanted to do it. Okay. And Don Giller probably yeah. filled in those, didn't he? And uh, Don Giller filled in a lot of them. Uh, and for folks who don't know, Don Giller is the Letterman guy and yes. very happily has actually been hired by the company. Now he's on the payroll, helping them with the official Letterman YouTube channel, which they picked the perfect guy for that. Thank God. They finally did that. Yes. Yeah. He, nobody could deserve it more. Right. Um, but, uh, so we went, we uploaded this or I uploaded it and I just said, this is for Ernie. And I figured Ernie would see it. Some of the Letterman fans that I know would see it. Mm -hmm. And 
at the time I was working two part-time jobs and as it happened, I didn't have to be at work the next morning. So I slept in late the next morning. And what I found out when I woke up was that while I was snoozing, Rolling Stone had written an article about what I had posted to Facebook. (laughs) Now, when you wake up and you get a text message telling you, Hey, Adam, just so you know, Rolling Stone has written an article about you. I can't remember the last time Rolling Stone wrote anything about me. Your mind can go in a few different directions and it's, and it's about what you posted on Facebook and you think to yourself, which thing? And (laughs) (laughs) is it that money hall thing again? So I, it turns out that it just blew and it wasn't just uh, Rolling Stone. I know uh, the AV club posted an article about it. But mm-hmm. this thing that I posted on Facebook just blew up and my I was getting all kinds of friend requests and all kinds of shares. Um, yeah, I, I sent you a friend request that yeah. day. Thank you for accepting it. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I was accepting everyone's. Uh, of course, the reason you stayed on the friends list was because I found out way, way after that you were the guy from the John Boy and Billy show or that you had written some of the material. And I completely freaked out because that was the soundtrack of my drive to school. That, that's um, correct. Yes. Um, So (laughs) yeah, I wrote many of the commercials for John boys or for the JD's 24 hour drive through Pondagon auto parts, pharmaceutical adult gift, bait and tackle discount cigarette outlet. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And you just casually mentioned that one day and I just, that's you. I I printed you on Facebook. Um, I was, I was actually kind of like, Oh my God, I impressed Adam Nita. (laughs) And then I told Libby and my wife and she goes, who? I said, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what you know, what was great was was Facebook also let me see who was sharing the album and yeah. going through it. You know, I'm one of those crazy people that reads the credits at the end of the TV shows. Yeah. And so I'm going through there and I'm like, wait a minute, I recognize the names of the people who are sharing this album, and it's these are uh, Dave Staffers found my Facebook page and they were sharing this uh, with their friends. And I mean, that's the most gratifying thing is you know that I was cool. able to yeah that yeah. I was able to make some kind of contact with the show in that way, even as it was coming to an end and let them know that I appreciated their work. And I, you know, I noticed what they were doing all, the, all those years and I loved well, it. It was very well done. Yeah. And Mike, there's one other thing uh, the, well, there's many, many other things about Adam. That's cool. But Adam <laughs> and I have something in common. Uh, granted his appearance was more impressive than mine. Adam and I have both been on the Conan O'Brien show. Really? Yeah. I didn't okay, know so you were on the Conan O'Brien. I, I was on Conan. Yeah. <laughs> Again, not as impressive as Adam. Adam, tell us about that time that you met Conan. Yeah. Okay. So again, I, I just Please. mentioned I was working uh, part-time at uh, two jobs and one of them was by day. <clears throat> I worked at uh, Madame Tussauds Hollywood, the famous Hollywood branch of the wax museum. And, um, we got word that uh, Conan was uh, going to be shooting something at the wax museum. And normally the job of escorting a famous celebrity through the wax museum goes through our head of, um, you know, media relations or our, our head of marketing or something like that. And the person who had that job at the time was very, very camera shy. And she made it known the day before that I don't really want to do this. I don't feel comfortable being on camera. And uh, one of the other people within the company, and this was all happening behind my my back. I had no idea that this was happening, Mm -hmm. but somebody else in the company spoke up and said, if you're not going to do it, I say Adam Needham should do it Um, because they knew I was a Conan fan and they, they thought I had the right personality and that I belong in this role. So everyone agreed that I should be on the Conan show. And that's when they pulled me into the office and said, Adam, we need to talk to you. And I was, so what's going on? And they said, Adam, can you be on the Conan O'Brien show tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, uh, yeah. Um, 
it's a uh, it's a great segment, uh, and I say that as a guy who's in it. Um, but it's, I, it's hilarious. I uh, I appeared, and I did a trick that I used to do for people. I don't really do it anymore, but when I would get to know people at parties, and I would talk about how I was interested in game shows, and I say, and when I'm interested in game shows, here's what I mean: give me your date of birth. And mm-hmm. they would give me their date of birth, and I would do this trick where I would give them the game shows that aired on the day they were born. Um, which is not as impressive a trick as it sounds. And I'll get back to that. Um, but I did this trick for Conan and it led to this back and forth conversation between Conan and I about game shows. Mm-hmm. And we actually ended up having a long, long conversation that ended up on the cutting room floor. But Conan asked what I wanted to do with uh, my interest in game shows. I said, well, I'd like to write a book someday. And when I got home, I'm like, okay, I just said with a camera rolling for a national TV show that I'd like to write a book about game shows. Yeah. <laughs> If I don't do it, I'm one of the massive population of people who say I'd like to write a book someday. So it's like, okay, yeah, I've said this. I pretty much have to write a book now. So that's what <laughs> led to this day in game show history was that I I heard myself say this out loud, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna write it. And so I kept writing books. So that's where the book writing comes from. Did you send um, a copy to Conan? Yes. I uh, never okay. heard anything back, but I did. I sent a copy uh, in care of his office. Um, and, uh, the clip is, if you go to YouTube and do a search for Conan O'Brien Wax Museum, uh, you can, uh, find this video. You can read the comments and see everybody diagnosing me with whatever mental disorder they think I have. (laughs) And now here's what comes up a lot of it is people think that I have eidetic memory or they think that that I have what's called photographic memory. I was going to ask if you had a photographic memory. That's not what it is at all. Uh, the actual secret to the trick is this is a term that I I learned from Art Fleming, the original host from Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he called it recreational retention, which means you're more inclined to retain information about a subject that you care about. If you give yeah. me a if you give me a, a bunch of facts about the Civil War to study, I might do okay just from studying it, but I'm not going to remember it a week later. Uh, game shows, I absorb everything I learn about game shows because it's what I care about. So it's, uh, the information stays there. And as far as being able to break it down to exact date, and there are a few people in the Conan comments who figured this out, and I always jump in and tell them, no, you're right. That's exactly how I'm doing it. Basically, it's just a matter of being aware of when a certain game show first went on the air and being aware of when it was canceled. Mm-hmm. And so then it, the, the trick just becomes remembering the general range of those game shows. And it's okay. If it's 1977, then for sure wheel of fortune was on NBC and for sure the gong show was on NBC and for sure Hollywood squares. Was on, and it's, and yeah. breaking it down that way. That's the whole secret they, of the trick. Yeah. They yeah. didn't change every day. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's the entire secret to the trick. It has nothing to do with eidetic or photographic memory. It's just a matter of retaining that information that you read over the years. Well, I mean, um, you probably could have just rattled off any game show and he's going to hold on a second. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Remote control wasn't on NBC. It was on MTV. <laughs> right. You know, I think yeah. you could have, you probably could have stumped him on that. Yeah. One. Yeah. Well, like I said, your, your, your uh, appearance on Conan was made more impressive than mine because my buddy and I were in the front row of Conan. And this was the day after we went to see Letterman and the day we saw Letterman, we um, were in front row and we got to meet Elle McPherson. She came down and did a bit in the front row where she uh, kissed a chocolate and threw it to Dave and said, happy Valentine's day. They recorded it and ran that on Valentine's. And I'm sitting there like a dork. There's a girl next to me, you know, the next, the next night we're on Conan and we get front row, which was a fluke, an absolute fluke. Jay Thomas is the guest and he starts talking about the movie Chud. He was starred in the movie Chud. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Exactly. I didn't die. If people thought I died in the podcast, I'm here. <laughs> but that's what Don, my buddy Don and I, 
we, you know, he mentioned that we both started yelling and he looks right at us and says, do you know what that stands for? And we said, yeah. And the cameras swooped around and got us. And Jay's like, you smoked a lot of dope in your day and this and that. And Conan's like, I can't believe we're dedicating this whole show to these two guys. And, <laughs> and, and Jay Thomas says, well, you know, we're having dinner later. I wanted to get him, get him on the show. And, and then, you know, when he was done with the segment, he waved at us and walked off and we went back to the hotel. We were on cloud nine because we were on Conan and, Don's sister called the hotel and she says, uh, so where did he take you guys to dinner? And I'm like, son of a bitch. He didn't take us to dinner. He <laughs> said he was going to take us to dinner and now he's dead and he oh. can't ever take us to dinner. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, he took the Lone Ranger to dinner. He did. The Lone Ranger yes. bit is the greatest story <laughs> ever in, uh, in television history. Um, we're, we're, uh, we're going to have to wrap this up here. Pretty soon. I'd, God, I'd love to oh. talk to you for the next couple more hours. Uh, I've got so many more things to to ask you. Well, we have like a once guests come on here, mm-hmm. they never come on here again. So we could always have him come back. We could break the trend. We could, yes. yeah, we could. Yeah, I have no aversion to doing this a second time. This is so here's here's a test for you, Adam. When you when we end this and you disconnect with this, if you don't sit back and go, Jesus, <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then that's a good sign. Be like, funny, Adam. I thought you were going to post the link that you'd appeared on our show. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I'm, I yeah. was meaning to do that. Yeah. yeah. No, another thing I, I noticed because when you like something, you really like something. Like game shows, you're all over that. Letterman, yeah. you're all over that. I noticed that when they did like the the four day marathon of Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, you were just obsessed yeah. with 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 that too. And you mentioned him earlier in in this podcast and with that documentary that came out which mm-hmm. you mentioned how great it was and i'm like well if adam likes it then i've got to go and i went and sure ah. it was amazing yeah but what else is there out there that you're just like a really big fan of that people that you're that like you're really knowledgeable about that people don't know about mega man Mega, <laughs> do i see mega man characters on the wall there no you know funnily, funnily enough those are actually my roommates my roommates uh took up and i always forget what this is called but it's the taking beads and running an iron over them um and i don't remember what that hobby is called uh but he's a huge fan of mega man like ruining an iron (laughs) when he (laughs) when he had some downtime he made a bunch of 8-bit recreations of the mega man bosses and tacked them onto Uh our living room wall Mm -hmm. um so uh no he's the mega man fan um my other big jam is uh vintage pro wrestling um it's I think everybody kind of great. If you're a wrestling fan, you always yeah. sort of gravitate to, towards the era that you grew up in. My mom's um, favorite wrestler was Dick the Bruiser. Well, I just okay. <laughs> I don't want my my uncle would take her to see wrestling, and she would cry when Dick the Bruiser would get hit. Okay. Uh, and 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 she was like, "Oh my god!" He's like, "He's like Dorothy. She's he's going to be just fine." And everybody thought I was making that name up until Dwayne the Rock Johnson was on Letterman. And Dave brought up Dick the Bruiser. And, yeah. And, and and yeah, Rock was like, yeah, he's totally a real wrestler. I don't well, want to I don't want to brag. I don't uh-huh. want to brag. Okay. I also don't want to interrupt. I've done both of them. Uh, <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter follows our podcast. That's awesome. Ooh, the yeah. Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. Nice. He also follows like 60,000 other people. <laughs> well, uh, here's the wild thing about <clears throat> people not knowing who Dick the Bruiser is. And this, uh, this has a lot to do with people not getting how pro wrestling used to work. Um, because Vince McMahon completely upended the entire business model in 1984. But the way pro wrestling used to work was it was divided into territories. Uh, old time wrestling promoters divided the U.S. up into about 
35 to 45 territories. And they would just keep that territory to themselves and only promote in that territory. So Dick the Bruiser was a huge star in the state of Indiana. And that was where he achieved all of his fame. And that was where he was in all of his matches was in the Indiana territory. But people in say California or people in Florida wouldn't know who Dick the Bruiser was because he was only in the Indiana territory, which wasn't on TV in Florida or California. And they wouldn't have shows featuring Dick the Bruiser in that area. Okay. The promoters kept it within. Yeah. So that's that's the interesting thing is the United States, every section of the United States had its own really huge wrestling stars in the 60s and 70s and 80s. But people who grew up watching wrestling at that same time would have no idea who they are. So that's the way yeah. wrestling used to work. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's one of the things I've been doing is kind of a hobby for about the past 15 years is I've been writing uh, recaps of old wrestling shows for a website called 411 Mania. And <laughs> it's uh, it's just it really is just a hobby. It was something that I signed up for 15 years ago when they were looking for writers to just write yeah. recaps. Yeah. And I'm allowed to write recaps, whatever I want. There's no guidelines or anything. So I just pick out old wrestling shows and I write recaps of them. And it was something that I did 15 years ago to take my mind about off the fact that I was working as a telemarketer and I completely hated it. And <laughs> I was I fired. Imagine why I, anyone would hate being a telemarketer. I was fired after four months for uh, saying goodbye at the end of a phone call instead of using the scripted sign off line. That they oh, had. those bastards. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a it was to take my mind off a job that I ended up having for only four months. And now I've been writing the wrestling recaps for 15 years. But, yeah, so I old. love old yeah. storyline driven hard-hitting pro wrestling that's that's so what I, I love that era yeah i will say my jam is video games i'm a huge mm-hmm. video game freak my one of my favorite podcasts of all time is the giant Bombcast, and it's a video game podcast a couple of the members from a couple of years ago were huge pro wrestling fans from like the 80s and it didn't matter what was on the rundown because they would post what they were going to talk about what they were supposed to talk about. If someone mentioned wrestling or even something that started with the letter W and they could, <laughs> they could move over to wrestling like, like whole wheat bread. This, this was a three, usually a two and a half to three and a half hour podcast. A good two hours of that would be devoted to wrestling. It didn't matter. <laughs> the, the hugest news in video gaming could be happening. Like Pac-Man two is coming out and someone would say, yeah, I bet Sergeant Slaughter would like Pac-Man two. <laughs> the next two hours, they're talking about Hulk Hogan, Jake the Snake, everything. Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> so yeah. the vast majority of what I know about wrestling is from listening to that show. <laughs> Even though I grew up in the 80s and I saw it happen, yeah. I know most of it from that show. Yeah. Well, Adam, let me tell you something. You've inspired me. Every week, or almost every week on this show, we have a segment called Just Stop, where we <laughs> tell people that they need to stop doing certain activities you know, like people backing into the parking spots. Who are you trying to impress? People who mow their yard diagonally. Who are you trying to impress? But you've really inspired me because there's a saying that a lot of people use. And that saying is that was before my time. Because I remember <laughs> I used to have a news director and I asked him if he'd heard the new because Bob Dylan had a new album out. And I, he looked like the type of guy who would listen to Dylan older than I am. And I was in my uh, 20s. I said, did you hear the new Dylan album? He goes, oh, Dylan's before my time. I'm like, bullshit, he's not before your time. <laughs> if he's still recording currently. The Pharaoh is before your time. <laughs> yeah. Here's yeah. the deal. Like, I know who Bill Haley and the Comets were. Right, yeah. Rock around the clock. 
considered the first rock and roll song to ever go number one. That was way before my time, but I know who he is and I know who Bill Haley, you know, the impact that he had on rock music and music in general. But you, my friend, have seriously broken this mold of before my time. And I, I, I applaud you seriously for going back and studying and learning about all this stuff that happened way before your time yeah. and appreciating it because uh, and I sound so old when I say this, but there's a lot of kids today who don't know, like the music, the current musicians, are, you know, I don't think people know where they got their, uh, where they got their interest in music, you know? Yeah. And uh, man, you have just went back and it's like, I'm going to learn everything I possibly can about all this stuff. And I think it's incredible. Well, I mean, there's that. And there's also the thing that I really try to be mindful of is not being dismissive of any pop culture that I'm not aware of. Um, right. Because that, that's the thing that I can't stand is uh, people say, you know, when somebody names a celebrity and somebody else goes, uh, am I supposed to know who that is? And it's like, OK, ask right. who they are. But I, I never just automatically dismiss somebody as not being famous or they must not right. be a big deal because I've never heard of them. As, you know, we live in this era now where pop culture is going in so many directions. It's hard mm -hmm. to keep track of everything. Um, so it's just it's not like what we had in what we had it's right. not like what existed in the 1950s where there was your local movie house and there were three channels on the tv right there's so much stuff out there that yes stuff is going to slip past your radar it doesn't mean that what these people are doing is irrelevant and i just exactly. i i can't stand that mindset of what i know is what's um, what's important i really try to steer clear of that yeah. yeah well i had a uh when i first moved to cincinnati i worked at a tv station wcpo mm -hmm. and our producer for the morning show was very young, fresh out of college. And our director was going through putting the rundown and everything ready. Or she was putting it all together. And she looked at our producer and she says, um, why do you have George Harrison's death in the D block? And the producer said, uh, who's George Harrison? Oh, and our director's God. like, oh, my God, are you serious? And she says, you're moving this to the A block. And yeah. she just <laughs> flat out told the producer, listen, come on. A, yeah. a, a news producer had no so, idea who George Harrison yeah, was. The 10th president of the United exactly. States. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, what's funny. I mean, I was talking about my friend, uh, my friend Ernie. <laughs> he sent me his his old collection of TV guides months ago just yes. because he figured oh, those were amazing. Oh, I love yeah. cheers those. and cheers. The, the thing that made me, the thing Cannon that absolutely made my head explode. Detective. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, in their fall preview, the, the sneak preview of Canon, that is how they summarize Canon. Yeah, I know. Detective, and that's all they say about it. He's a detective, but this guy's fat. <laughs> Sundays at eight on CBS or whatever. You know? That's when the but cocaine no, ran down mind, at the TV show. The 1989 TV guide from the week after Lucille Ball died. Lucille Ball's death is a blurb at the end of like six pages of press releases. And here's what? what's coming up on TV. Like, like a TV guide barely mentions that Lucille Ball died. And it's like, that is a... That's a stop the presses and start this entire issue over again bit of news for TV oh Guide. God. And they just, they casually mentioned it at the end of their news that week. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, wow. Huh. Well, Adam, I want to thank you for being on here. And I want oh, to yeah. tell everybody that if they can buy any of Adam's books, his last name is, uh, it's Adam Needeff, N-E-D-E-F-F. -F. You can go to Amazon or 
Uh, what's the where, where's the best place for them to buy your book, Adam? Direct from the publisher, uh, Bear Manor Media, the uh, B E A R M A N O R M E D I A, bearmanormedia.com. <laughs> and if you're a fan of old pop culture, uh, it just explore everything else they have. But by all means, buy my books first. Yes. But yeah. after you've bought them, stick around the Bear Manor Media website and see what else they have to, uh, to offer because Bear Manor specializes in pop culture that other publishers aren't covering. Uh, the year that my Bill Cullen biography came out, one of their other releases that year, as an example, was a biography of Jay Silverheels, which, yeah, what other publisher is going to touch that? So that's an example of what you're looking at when you go to this website. BearManorMedia.com is my publisher. He was, Please he look was around. Taunt, yeah. He was Tonto, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's an amazing company. It's an amazing website. It support all of these books that are being published by this company. Fantastic. And before we go, I wanted to mention, uh, this is our 98th episode. Mm. Our 100th episode is going to be very special mm -hmm. because Jim Timmerman, a guy we've mentioned many, many times before on the show, he yeah. is going to put together a pop-up video special edition of episode 100, and our patrons are going to be able to watch it for free. So Ooh. there you go. Fantastic. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Adam, again, brother, thank you so much. And if you ever want to come back, uh, please come back. You're welcome on the show. Definitely. Anytime. I, God, I really enjoy talking. One, sure one more I question oh, I have oh, for, yes. for Adam. Tudor's Biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just want his reaction. Tudor's Biscuits. Are they not? Is that not the best place on the planet to get any type of food ever? Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. Go. That was uh, that was always that, yeah, after a show at the Huntington Civic Center. That was you stop at Tudor's Biscuit World to stuff your face so you don't get hungry on the ride. Oh home. my God! You won't get hungry for the next week. <laughs> stuff sits in your stomach like a. We need brick. to get them as a sponsor on the show. We should. Yes. We seriously do. Yep. Awesome. All right, Adam. Thank you so much, and everybody. Sure, thank you, and uh, we hope to see you next week on Irritable Dad Syndrome. This has been Irritable Dad Syndrome. Did we mention that it's made with all natural ingredients? Oh, that's right. I said it in the intro. Anywho, we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Irritable Dad Syndrome. This is episode 98. Mike, this is where you start talking. I, I, <laughs> I was doing some quick math. It is 98. Damn. <laughs> see? You see, 1998. <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> the year I graduated college. Good. Ruprecht, we have wonderful news. Diana and I are going to be married, and we are all going to live in Palm Beach. Ruprecht. Eat your food. Excuse me. May I go to the bathroom first? Of course you may. Thank you. <laughs>